as we're diving into God's Word this morning, here's the thing that I, I recognize about sometimes when you hear a message. Uh, you ever walked away from a sermon and thought, boy, that was really good, but I have no idea what I'm supposed to do next? You guys ever had that? Uh, I mean, I'll be honest that there's times when I preach messages that I'm not as great on giving you practical application. Now, sometimes that's because you need to wrestle with it. You know, you need to sit down with, with what God said in his word, and you need to figure out what does this look like for my life? I, I can't give you an application to every single person in the room because I don't know what you do for a living sometimes. I'm not in your house, so I don't know what you guys struggle with. All of those kind of things. I can't apply everything. But this morning, as we go through and continue looking at our response to the hope that God's given us, I want to spend the last portion of this message trying to get really, really practical today, because I think the the second part of this message is so vital for us. I think it's worth us taking some time to really slow down and just give you some real practical tips. So hopefully today, if no other day, you'll be able to walk out with some practical advice as you go, okay? Now, uh, go ahead and open your Bibles up to 1 Peter. If you uh, don't have a Bible, there should be one on the back of the pew there in front of you. It's the black book there. Uh, we're actually on page 1075, but 1075 doesn't have a page number. Um, so you've got to look for 1074, and then it's the next page, okay? So as we're here in 1 Peter, um, we have been going through chapter 1, and we've been looking at the theme of living as exiles. Peter was writing to a group of believers who had been scattered throughout different areas. They actually were just living in these different areas, but Peter refers to them as scattered because as citizens of heaven, people who've been saved, people who are following Jesus, we've gone from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. We've gone from following ourselves and doing our stuff to doing what Jesus has called us to do, and that means that we are exiles even if we, like me, are in our own hometown. Christiansburg is where I'm born and raised. But at the same time, this town is a a place where I now live in exile because my primary citizenship is in heaven. Before Peter got into some of the difficult things that would come as a result of us having to, to live in that kind of state as exiles, he started off by reminding us about the incredible hope that we have in Christ. That because Jesus has died on the cross and been buried and raised from the dead, we now have eternal life and we have this inheritance that's waiting for us in heaven. We know that, that it's going to be this relationship with God that's unbroken. It's a freedom from sin, a freedom from pain, all of these things that God has promised. So for the first few weeks, we were looking at that exciting promise that God's made. Now the rubber is starting to meet the road because Peter said, in light of that, how are we supposed to respond? Last week, we looked at the first two aspects of that response that he gives us here in chapter 1, and that is that we're to respond with holy living, doing the right thing at the right time in the right way for God's glory. Okay, so that's holy living and also uh, the idea of living in reverent fear, not in in abject fear cowering, but at the same time recognizing and honoring the fact that God is God and that we need to honor him as such, okay? So as we pick up this morning, we're going to start seeing two additional parts of the response. We're not going to spend as much time on the first one uh, as we will on the second, so if you're trying to track through the message and thinking about my pacing, um, it's not going to be a good indicator of how early we're going to get out, okay? I will say I have fewer notes than I typically do, but that's still not a guarantee about when we're going to get out, okay? So as we're diving in, though, this morning, as challenging as it is, we have this unshakable hope, and we're going to need to respond to that unshakable hope in several ways, like we said, with holy living, with reverent fear, and then this morning, we're going to cover two more, okay? First one is love one another. The second one is live by his word, or excuse me, long for his word, long for his word, okay? That's it. You can go home now. That's it. We're done. Just kidding. So let's dive into the text. We're going to start in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, and then we're going to keep rolling, okay? Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly because you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word, this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. Then keep going into chapter two. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that, when you, that you may grow up into your salvation if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, okay? Now, 
In light of those passages, we're going to break this down into two different things. First part of our response that we're looking at this morning is that if we have been saved, if we have this hope in Christ, then we should love one another. That's the first aspect of our response this morning is love one another. Now, go back to verse 22. This verse reads a little bit awkwardly in English. Um, If I'd been the CSP translators, I might have tried to smooth that out a little bit. Um, But we'll look at the surrounding phrases in a minute. But for now, realize that the verses build to that last part where it says, from a pure heart, love one another constantly. Love one another constantly. Part of what God's doing in saving us is building in us a love for others who follow Jesus. Now, there's a general sense in which we love everybody. We get that. But there is a unique relationship that brothers and sisters in Christ are to have. I'm to love you as my brother and sister in Christ. You're to love me as your brother and sister in Christ. That's part of our relationship, not just within the church, but within all of the churches around the world, right? Now, Peter's use of one another here points to the fact that we're called to love other Christians. That's reinforced, by the way, that he said uh, brotherly love right before that. Now, if you're part of our church family, that should sound awfully familiar, right? Because around here we say that our goal is love. Based off of 1 Timothy 1.5, that says the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith, okay? So we say that around here, that our goal is to love God and to love others in our family, our church, our community, and our world. So this ought to sound awfully familiar if you've been around for a while. Loving one another is part of what we do. Now, this is, uh, we're not going to go deeply into that because we've kind of talked about it a lot. We'll, we'll see a little bit more about what the text says. But loving one another means investing in each other. It means sacrificing for each other. It means forgiving each other. Because can we be honest that sometimes we make each other mad or we do something stupid or we offend each other? I mean, it, it's part of life, right? We say around here that we are a family, and I don't think, if you're honest for a second, that your family always gets along, right? There's moments where you don't, but underneath that is the fact that you love each other. Even on those days you don't like each other necessarily, right? There's a love that says, I'm committed to your well-being. You're committed to my well-being. I want to help you to grow into Christ-likeness. You want to help me to grow in Christ-likeness. We may not want to be in the same room together right now, but I'm not going anywhere, right? That's that love. That same love is supposed to characterize us as believers. It's sacrificing for each other, forgiving each other, doing life together. Now, with that kind of concept of love, remember love doesn't always mean saying that whatever you're doing is fine and I'm never going to challenge you. In fact, love sometimes is me saying it's not okay for you to keep doing this because it's not because I think so or because I'm better than you, because what the Bible says. You know, one of the best ways to go about that, if you ever have a friend who claims to follow Jesus and, and something about their life isn't lining up with what the Bible says we should be doing, then the best way to do that is to say it just like that. Say, hey, I love you, and I'm concerned because I see this in the Bible, and I see this in your life, and they don't seem to match up. Can you help me understand what's going on here? Don't come in and be, you know, pointing bony fingers and saying, you're wrong and you're sinning. Nobody's going to listen to you when you do that. But loving one another sometimes means confronting. Loving one another says, I I can't let you keep doing that because it's not God-honoring, okay? Make sense? Clear? We good? All right, so we have the idea of why or what loving one another looks like. I think that's a pretty clear concept for us. But here's what's interesting. Peter gives us a couple of motivations behind that love that we find here in this passage that are a little bit unique. Go back again to the first part of verse 22. Since you've purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other, then from a pure heart, love one another constantly. One of the things we find in this is that loving one another constantly, loving your brothers and sisters in Christ, is not possible until you're in Christ, until you've been freed from your sin. Now, there is a love that's kind of this natural human love, but the love that we have for brothers and sisters in Christ is unlike that love. It's greater than. Think about, um, like, if you've ever had anybody who served in a military unit that they absolutely loved, you hear that phrase, the esprit de corps, right? It's that camaraderie that comes from serving together, training together, being in the, the foxhole together, you know, just going through life together. Well, here's the thing. Even if you stay in the military your entire life, stay in the same unit with the same guys, there's going to be a time that you die, and you're not going to be a part of that unit anymore. 
Now, I know uh, if we have any Marines in the room that once a Marine, always a Marine, I, I get it. But at the same time, here's the thing. When I die and I go to heaven, I'm going to be surrounded by other Christians. Now, there'll be some pastors there, but I won't be there as a pastor because we won't have to be a pastor in heaven because God's going to already have that taken care of, right? I'll get to just be Sean, son of God, not in the same way Jesus is, but child of God adopted into his family. And here's what's beautiful about that. As I look around this room, that means that if you're here and you're in Christ, even if we have absolutely nothing else in common, you're my brother, you're my sister. There should be a bond there. There should be a uniqueness. We had an individual who joined us on Wednesday night for prayer meeting that none of us knew. Uh, he, he hopped in because he was traveling in, in town for some business that he had to take care of. And on Wednesday night, we were able to pray for this individual. He was able to join in and kind of share some things with us. And it was a beautiful time, even though none of us had ever met this person and may never have the privilege of meeting him in person. The same kind of thing happens, Gordon can tell you about, or, or Randy or others who've gone on international mission trips. You go to the other side of the world, you end up in a, a culture that is so dramatically different than yours. I mean, when we're in Zimbabwe, the, the, the way that, uh, like to give you an idea, um, our national pastors that we're working with saw me putting my contacts in one day and had never seen anybody wear contact lenses, okay? That's how, how distanced the culture is. But I tell you what, you get me and Godin McGuaney together, and we get to preaching, and God works in great ways. We've had some fantastic conversations about the way God works with Pastor Manyanga or with Jonathan, who's now home with the Lord, sitting there and sharing the gospel alongside these men whose lives are dramatically different than anything I could ever begin to imagine. And yet we have this commonality in Christ because there's to be this love for one another that comes from the fact that we are together in Christ. Now, Peter refers to that here in verse 22 as our purification through our obedience to the truth. In other words, when, God presented, when you were presented with the gospel, when, when you understood the truth that Jesus died on the cross for you, was buried and rose again, and God purified you from your sins, he took that stain of sin away. Part of what he was doing in that was so that you would show brotherly love. Part of what he was doing in saving you was equipping you and preparing you to be able to share love with each other. That's why he says there in the last part or middle part of verse 22, so that you show sincerely brotherly love for each other. There's supposed to be this sincerity of the love that you have for other people who know and love Jesus. If we can't get along with other folks who know and love Jesus, whose lives have been transformed by him, then we've got a real issue. How are we going to live as exiles if we're isolating ourselves from the other exiles around us? You know, if, you'll, if you've ever noticed, there's international communities. When you've got a, a group of international folks who move here from a particular area, you'll start noticing that maybe like there's a, a grocery store that you'll see a lot of folks that go to because it starts to be kind of a hub or maybe a church that starts in, in their native language. Because there's this commonality that we want to seek. We want to be together with people like us, people who understand us, people who get us. That commonality for us is found in Christ. That This is where we should come to be able to find, if nobody else in the world understands me, at least my brothers and sisters in Christ get it. My mom and my dad may not. My family may not. But I know that the people here love me because they love Jesus. That should be one of the goals, that as we look at the hope that we have in Christ, as we look at the fact that we're living as exiles, we need to love one another because nobody else is going to love you for a lot of the stands that Jesus is going to call us to take. A lot of people are going to say a lot of mean things about us. A lot of people are going to reject us if we're truly standing on what God says in his word and saying, guys, I wish that I could, but I can't compromise on this because this is what God says in his word. That's going to make you unpopular. This needs to be the place we come for safety. And by the way, when I say this, a tornado could take this building off and it wouldn't change anything. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are the place where you gather. You need to get together with each other. Not this building. This building doesn't matter. This building is a great tool that God's given us, but this is not the church. This is the church. We've said it before, you know, the whole idea of, you know, this is the church, and here's the steeple, open the doors and see all the people. No, this is the church, not this, if you remember that little rhyme. 
And this is the church when we love one another, when we recognize I've been purified from my sins, you've been purified from your sins, and we may not like the same things, we may never watch the same movies, we may never eat the same foods, we may not even speak the same language, but because you love Jesus and I love Jesus, there's a love here that's unlike anything else in the world. Now, not only is it looking back at at the fact that we've been purified from our sins, by the way, we also see that this purification of our sins has come through the eternal, timeless word of God. That's what he says in verse 23. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. Now, let's think about this. The Bible talks about the idea of us having a new birth when we are spiritually born again. Okay, so the first birth that you have is a physical birth where your body was born and you started to grow, you started to develop. But if you ever have studied it, you know that from the moment you're born, you begin to die, right? There's just this death process that's beginning. Your body is weakened by the sin. You are aging. Your, your DNA is getting older. And so because of that, bodily systems are just not going to work like they used to. You're not going to heal as quick. And eventually, your physical body will die. It's a great reminder, by the way, you, know, you hear about the old uh, the medieval practice of memento mori. It's kind of making a comeback to remember that you will die, to contemplate the fact that, that you are going to die. This is a great verse that reminds us of that. Because he says, all flesh is like grass. I have a hobby uh, on Friday, well, kind of a hobby and a, kind of a side gig. I mow lawns on Friday. Um, we did 13 yards Friday afternoon, or Friday during the day. As we go through and do these yards, you walk up, and I have determined I never want to actually landscape my yard. Because I've been to all of these folks' houses who have done an absolutely immaculate job over the years of these hedges that are perfect, all of these flowering plants, all of this stuff. I remember a few weeks ago, you know, or a month ago maybe, the, the daffodils were all in bloom, and it was beautiful, and it was gorgeous. And now you know what I get to do to all those daffodils? I weeded them down, and then we chop them up with the mower. As beautiful as those things are, even as you get those fields of clover, if you're like my yard that has more clover than it has actual grass, you know, you look at all those little flowers that used to sit there and pop off as when you were a kid, you know, and realize that all of that, as pretty as that actually is, it's just going to get destroyed, bagged up and put in a pile underneath my deck. The psalmist said, all flesh is like grass. Even the glory that you might get in this life the notoriety, the fame, whatever status you may achieve in this life, you're just like a flower that's there for a couple of days, weeks at most, and then it fades. But, but the word of God, this is eternal. And see, when you come to Christ, When you come to Christ and you believe in the gospel, you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and was buried and was raised from the dead, when God draws you to himself, he changes you and makes you alive in a way that you will never die again. He transforms you. So so instead of just being flesh that's going to shrivel up and die, now you have this spiritual life that will never fade away. And one day when Jesus returns and removes the stain of sin, you're going to receive this resurrected body that's going to be completely free from any of that. You're going to be with him forever. So instead of chasing after the the temporal success, the temporal glory, remember all of that stuff is just grass. And instead, we trust in the eternal word of God that says, you know what? There's a God in heaven who loved me so much that he would die on the cross and save me from my sin so that I could know him, so that I could honor him, so that I could be with him forever. That's the message that that the Christians in Peter's day were believing. That's the message that we're believing. That's the message that will continue us on throughout all eternity for all that God has done. And it's because of that, because you have that new birth, you have to love those who have that new birth with you. Love those who've been through this. Come alongside, care for, do life with, sacrifice for, forgive tolerate those around you who know Jesus 
because we've got this living hope. We've been purified from our sin by the eternal, timeless word of God. Now, it's to that issue of the word we'll get to in just a minute. But before he dives into that, flip over to chapter 2, verse 1. In case you do need some practical stuff about, okay, what does it actually look like for me to love? He gives you a a quick list of some things to put off. Chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. All of these have to do with tensions that sometimes come up between believers, right? Let's look at them first. Uh, Malice. The idea here, the word that's translated malice can sometimes just mean wickedness. But in this context, it probably refers to harboring ill will towards someone else. Okay, so malice in this context is when you've got it out for somebody. They can't ever do anything right, and you are just waiting for them to fall. You have ill will, and you're willing to help it happen if you can. That's malice. He said, then he goes on to talk about deceit. The literal word here is actually the word bait or like fish hook. So deceit is the idea of being treacherous. Uh, It's being dishonest. It's intentionally trying to trick somebody and lie to them. Then you get into a little bit more specific with hypocrisy. Another expression of deceit here, but saying that, you know, hypocrisy is saying you're one thing and acting like you're another. It's acting like I'm your friend when really I don't have any desire to care about you. It's pretending to be all spiritual on Sunday mornings at church, but not having a genuine relationship with Christ. Hypocrisy. And then he goes to say envy. Envy is being jealous of one another's position or possessions. You think about it, um, Romans chapter 12 talks about the fact that it was to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Depending on where you are in life, a lot of times it's easier to weep with those who weep than to rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, when somebody's going through a hard time, you can cry with them and put your arm around their shoulder and pray for them. God, I just wish you would strengthen them. But what about when they get that thing that you've wanted for a really long time? They get the promotion. They get the house. They get the relationship. They get pregnant. They get... Well, bless God. (laughs) I'm so happy for you. Then it goes to slander. Slander is defaming somebody else's character. By the way, you ever notice how these things things kind of fit together? I harbor ill will towards somebody, so I'm going to act two-faced around them, and I'm going to pretend like I'm their friend, but I'm not because really I'm jealous of who they are. And you know what? If they hadn't lied on their taxes, they wouldn't have been able to afford that. Slander. Gossip with malicious intent to defame somebody's character. Interestingly, the word here in Greek is actually, it's, it's an onomatopoeia word. In other words, it sounds like what it is. Um, it's, it's katalalias, okay? Which if you whisper, it's like katalalias. Kind of sounds like somebody gossiping in your ear, doesn't it? That's what he says. He says, you're, you're going slandering. Yeah, but you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but did you see? What's Peter say about that? Therefore, rid yourselves all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. There is no room in the church for this. You know, in America, we're not great at doing church discipline. Church discipline is the process where we come alongside somebody who is, has gotten to a point where they're sinning in a way uh, that they're unrepentant and they're not, they're defaming the name of God by the way that they're behaving. It's, a, it's in a public way. It's known. And, and so the church then has steps that we need to go through to, to handle that. Usually which is in America, it's got to be really, really bad before it gets to that point, just being honest. In India, it's gossip. They'll warn you once. The next time they're catching you gossiping, you're out of the church. Because why? Because they're ridding themselves of all malice, all slander. There's no room for this. Why? Because the person that I'm gossiping about, the person I'm slandering is a person for whom Jesus died and a person that I'll be worshiping next to for all of eternity. See, the first response to our hope then, that's eternal hope that we have that we see this morning is to love one another. 
It's not always easy. It's not always fun. But it's what God's called us to do, and it's worth it. Love one another. Now, the second part of this is, is critical to it, and it helps us to understand some of why this is. What we've already been mentioning, but the second aspect of our response this morning is to long for God's word. Long for God's word. Now, as we talk about that, just to be clear, in case you're not familiar with the terminology, uh, God's Word is the Bible. We believe that God has revealed Himself throughout history to a group of authors who recorded what God was telling them to record, and God has miraculously preserved it throughout all of human history so that the Bible continues to be without error in its original manuscripts and has been miraculously preserved in the way that it exists in the form we have it today. Okay, So we believe that the Bible is the inerrant, infallible, inspired God without error and is the only faith and practice for the church. Okay, Now, with that definition out of the way, that doesn't sound like something all that exciting, does it? Read verses 2 and 3 with me. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up to your salvation, if you've tasted that the Lord is good. You know, this has been an especially poignant illustration for us recently as we've been looking around and seeing this baby formula shortage that's been going on in our nation. You know, moms are desperate because where they're running low on formula, their baby longs and needs that formula. They, they don't have other options. You can't give them cow's milk. It doesn't work. They have a longing that they need this milk or this formula. Peter's not saying that we're to stay spiritually babies forever, but he's saying we're to have that same fervent hunger that a baby has for milk. I mean, you guys, if you've ever been around a newborn, they eat all the time, and they will let you know when it's been too long, right? They will cry. They will fuss. They will let you know they're hungry, and it's time to eat because it's such a strong desire in them. Peter says that our desire for God's word is to be the same as that kind of desire, to be the same as the desire that a baby has for milk. Now, why is that? (laughs) Because the best way to get to know what he's told us is through his word. As we live life with the hope and expectation that Christ's return should lead to it, it should make us want to know God better. That hope should, should say, if I'm going to spend, you know, how many of you guys spend way too much time researching where you're going before you go on vacation, right? Well, what museums are there? Is there anything good to eat near the hotel, you know? Why would we do that? Some of you, I know, you're like, nah, I just, I booked the hotel. We'll figure it out when we get there. I, okay, I, I get you. Some of you are that way. But if we would spend that much time planning a vacation, what about the place we're going to be for all eternity? What about where we're going to be and what we're going to be doing? Shouldn't we want to know that? Shouldn't we want to study that? Shouldn't we want to find out more about who he is? Now, the best way to do that, like I said, is not just to to sit around and think about what you think is best, but instead to get into God's word and see what he's told us. Now, Peter's already been talking about the importance of God's word a few times in in the book already, verses Uh, 10 through 12 of chapter 1, he talked about the prophets had written down these prophecies and they were serving you. So God's word in the Old Testament, the promises that he made about sending the Messiah, we're looking forward to to what he was going to do and that's for you. We've also seen multiple times he's already quoted from other parts of the Bible and has been referencing like the the reference that be holy as I'm holy. Um, And then uh, we saw it just now with the reference here uh, back in verse 24 and 25, he's been quoting from different parts of Scripture, showing us and reminding us that it's absolutely critical to stay grounded and rooted in God's Word. Now, why? Because as you get to know His Word, like he says in verse 3, if you've tasted that the Lord is good, then you want more. I had the privilege of going on a mission trip to Thailand 13 years ago. I have never really been an adventurous eater. Adventurous for me was like a different brand of chicken nuggets, okay? Um, You think I'm kidding. (laughs) So I hear everybody talk about how good Thai food is. I'm like, look, we're going to Thailand. I better try it. Before the trip was over, I was eating chicken hearts off of a spit from a street cart and it was one of the most delicious things I have ever put in my mouth. 
It was so good. If you've never had roasted chicken hearts, oh, it's so good. We went to a, a, a buffet. I couldn't even hardly figure out what any of the stuff was, but I started loading it up, start eating this green curry. Oh, this is chicken. And man, I didn't realize that like not all curries are made the same. Green curry is the hottest, just in case you didn't know that. I start crunching down on something in this curry, and it's delicious, and my face is on fire. My nose is running. So I start picking through, trying to figure out what it was. Whole green peppercorns. Like, you know when you get the, the, the grinders that have the green ones and the red ones? It was little sprigs of green peppercorns in the curry. It was delicious. Now, Cafe Meat Kong in Blacksburg's got a good green, green curry. There was a, a Thai restaurant in Richmond that outside of the hotel where I stayed at when I went up for class a few months ago. It's got some good Thai food. But man, ever since I ate some of that, I will get Thai any day of the week. All right? You, you want, if, if you're wanting Thai food, I am down. I will be there. We will figure it out, okay? Because I tasted it, and it was delicious. Peter says, if you've tasted that the Lord is good, You want more. You want to keep coming back. You want to keep returning to God's word. Why? Psalm 19 gives us a bunch of reasons why we should turn to God's word. Uh, I'm going to put them up on the screen for you as we're reading through it. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is worn by them, and in keeping them is an abundant reward. An abundant reward. Did you hear that? Do you want your life to be renewed? Do you want to be wise? Do you want your heart to be glad? Do you want your eyes to be lightened? Do you want something that's, that's timeless and going to endure forever? Do you want something that's reliable and doesn't change with the times? Then this is it. This is it. You know, you hear sometimes people talking about being on the wrong side of history as, as society's values change and go back and forth. Guys, study history sometimes. What you find is, for a while, some idea will come into vogue, and this has to be right, and then it will fall by the wayside, and eventually people start figuring out that God knew what he was talking about in his word. And so, whatever it is, we're to long for his word. We we should want this to make our lives right with him, to to be wise, to, to know what's going on more than what the news or the blog or the podcast or the book or whatever is going to tell you. Now, I'm not saying that, that we turn off the TV and never listen to anything. I'm saying our heart's desire should be this and beyond anything else. Before we listen to anybody on news, before we listen to any podcast or blog or whatever, this should be where we start and filter everything else we hear, everything else we read, everything else we think, everything else we see, filter through the lens of God's Word. Because this is the timeless thing. Now, let's be real honest. It's hard to long for God's word. I mean, have you read Leviticus? Have you tried reading the prophets? It's just doom and gloom and doom and gloom. So when I say long for God's word, you're like, Sean, I I really would like to. But I don't know what to do. Here's what we want to make it practical. We're going to go a little bit long this morning, but I hope that this will be helpful, okay? I, I want to give you just some, some tips, some thoughts that I, I was working through as I, I was kind of going through. Um, they're all going to show up at once, so if you are like me and you either want to write it down or if it's easier, you can just pull out your phone real quick, take a picture of it so you can look back at these later, um, whatever is best for you. We're going to go through and, and kind of give you, I want to give you insanely practical advice on developing a longing for God's word and how to be able to honor him through it, okay? The first thing, and you're going to say, well, duh, is pray. Pray for a longing and a desire and understanding. I know I'm getting out of the way so that people can take a picture. Jamie's flagging me, telling me I'm out of camera. So hi, people on the camera. Um, I was getting out of the way so folks wanted a picture, they could get one. 
First thing is pray for God to give you a desire and to give you understanding because the Bible doesn't make sense unless you're first off right with God, okay? If you're not saved, none of this is gonna make sense. If you've tried to read the Bible before and it's never clicked, then that's probably because you may not have a relationship with Jesus. And so the place you start today is by putting your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And then you'll start seeing this begin to make sense. Now, I wish that it was like the Matrix where as soon as you get saved, they plug you into the chair and all of a sudden you know everything about the Bible. But that's unfortunately not how it works. It's a lifelong process of growing. So as you do, pray that God would give you this desire and this understanding. Now, here's how this doesn't work. All right, God, help me want this. And then do nothing, right? Sometimes we have to, to actually do something. It's a lot like anything else. You, you know, anything that's difficult, any new skill, the second thing that you'll see is that you need to recognize that it's going to be tough at times, especially if you're first starting out. If you've never read the Bible, this is very than anything you've ever read, the way you approach it. You don't just start at the beginning and read all the way through unless you've been through this for a while. Um, it's going to be tough at times. There's going to be days when you read a passage and go, there's going to be other days when you read a passage and it feels like the heavens open and God's just pointing an arrow straight at your heart. But most days are going to be, okay. It's going to feel mechanical at first. Like any new discipline, the motivation comes after you start. You're never going to feel like reading your Bible. I say, I say never. Never is too strong. You're rarely going to feel like reading. It's a discipline. You've got to do it. And as you do it, you start to love it. That comes afterwards, okay? So pray for God to give you the desire and understanding. Recognize that it's going to be tough at times. Third thing, plan where to read. If you're not familiar with the Bible as a whole, you may be tempted to treat it like you would any other book, which is where you pick it up and you start in page one and you read all the way through to the end. Now, everything in here is valuable. Everything in here is for our good. But if you're just starting out in your relationship with Christ or just trying to get familiar with God's word, that's not going to be your best plan of approach. Certain passages of scripture are a little harder to understand. They, they take a little bit more backstory to kind of catch what all's going. So here's what I would encourage you to do. If you're not familiar with reading the Bible or you're just trying to get back in the habit, start with the gospels. The gospels are in the New Testament, the first four books, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those four books talk about what Jesus did during his earthly ministry. When he was here on earth and he was walking around and he was teaching and doing miracles and all, they talk about what Jesus did during that time. If you're just getting started with Jesus or just kind of getting back into it, start with the Gospels because there's usually something on every page that you can walk away with and say, this is something I know I need to change or do today, okay? If, if you've done the Gospels and you feel comfortable with that and you want to move to something a little bit different, um, you'll notice that I put the, the ends. If you look in the middle of the New Testament, kind of towards the last part of your Bible, uh, there's a bunch of letters that Paul wrote a bunch of different churches. There's the letters to Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. All of those letters are short, kind of condensed things, especially when you get past uh, 1 and 2 Corinthians. They're a little bit tricky. Uh, Romans has got, you could spend a lifetime in Romans. Um, so much good stuff. But, but if you need something quick and easy, those, those, especially Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, those in the middle there, those Ian's books, those are great ones to be able to, to dive in. Again, real practical stuff, real easy to handle, real easy to grab onto. From there, I'd also encourage you to, to read through the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is an easy one to get the discipline going with because it's very practical in its nature. Proverbs are not promises. However, they give us the idea of kind of how God works and all. And so as you read through Proverbs, um, you can read a chapter a day. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. So you can just do a chapter a day and start looking at some of the practical ways that we think about our money, think about uh, issues of lust, think about the way that we relate to each other, the way that we use our words. All of these things are covered throughout the book of Proverbs. And then another great one is the book of Psalms. Psalms is the biggest book in the Bible, 150 chapters, and it's prayers and songs that were written by David and a bunch of other people that expressed what was going on in their heart toward God and can be a great way for you to learn kind of how to talk to God. And you might be surprised by what you see, okay? So I would encourage you, if you're just getting started out, go to the Gospels, go to the Ian's, read a Proverbs a day, Psalms a day, that kind of thing. Start just getting in there. Now, 
Number four, this may be controversial for some, take your time. You'll hear about things. um, The most extreme one that I've seen is the Bible in 90 days, okay? Um, It is an insane plan. Uh, I I did it once, but it did not take 90 days. It took a good bit more, like 120-something, I think. But other people will talk about, I read through the Bible every year, or I read the New Testament every year, things like that. If that's your discipline, great, keep it up. But if you're just starting and trying to learn to love God's word, you may need to take a month in one chapter. I would rather you actually sit down and dig in deep in a passage and figure out everything that's in there than just read so much that you don't catch anything. Now, there's times when, like like I said, for me, when I did that Bible in 90 Days plan, the reason that I did that was because I was in a season as a pastor where I had to do a lot of counseling, and I felt way out of my depth just being honest. The situations that I was facing were ones that nobody in seminary taught me how to do. And I thought, I need to really dig into God's word as much as I can, as quick as I can. And so that was why I did that, because it gave me a lot of overviews. I was a lot of time in God's word, a lot of themes that I saw that developed. It was a really interesting plan. Um, it's an it's interesting challenge if you ever do it. But if you're brand new at, at this, th- that's not the way to do it. You're not going to catch much. I had a lot of hooks. I mean, I, I've had the privilege of going to, to, to Liberty and got a bachelor's in, in biblical studies and then a master's of divinity, they call it. I've spent all week writing a paper on the Sabbath. I mean, it, you know, I, I have this ability to be able to do stuff like that because of the calling that God's put on my life. It's a lot of fun. But for you, you may need to just take your time. It's okay, all right? Like for me, honestly, my Bible reading plan this year, I'm not gonna make it through this year. It's gonna take me longer than that. I've been going a little bit slower. Take your time. So as you're reading, so you found, you're praying for God to give you understanding, you're recognizing some days it's just going to be what it is, you're planning out where you're going to read and your, your willingness to kind of take some time, then as you read, ask questions of the text. I'm going to give you my, my five favorite questions to ask that are just real easy, and you can memorize them, and, and maybe the hand motions even will help, okay? As you read through a passage, you ask these five questions. What does this teach me about God? What does it teach me about people? What did I learn? What questions do I have? And what do I need to do? Okay, now I'm going to ask everybody to do that with me because I get to do that as a pastor, all right? You got to put up with me, all right? So first question, what does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about people? What did I? What? Questions do I have, and what do I need to do, okay? Now, that's a super easy thing, but I, I promise you, if you sit down with your Bible reading and you start trying to answer these questions, some days the answers to one of those are more maybe, I don't know. Well, that's great. Figure it out. Spend time. But there may be sometimes you don't learn a whole lot about God or you don't learn about people. But if you go into it with the expectation of, I want to be able to write out what I learned about God, about people, what did I learn, what questions do I have, what do I need to do? You'll get so much more out of just sitting down and skimming it and saying, okay, I did that for the day. Because we're trying to long for God's word. We're trying to get to know the God who inspired it, trying to worship him well, okay? Now, the last part of this is vitally, vitally important. And that is get together with other people. Get together with other people and take those questions you have where you say, hey, the other day I was reading this and I don't know what to make of it. What do you think God meant? I mean, that's what I've been doing with the Sabbath thing. I'm having to write this paper for school on ministers, rest, and the Sabbath. And I've had to sit down and go through more resources than I would care to admit to try to come up with a coherent idea of what is our responsibility to maintain the Sabbath out of what we've seen in the Old Testament. You know, it's been really helpful as I've bounced some ideas off of people. I've got some friends who, who observe the Sabbath and, and do so in a, in a kind of a real formal sense. I've got some who say, man, I'll rest when I'm dead. Um, you know, and it's kind of interesting to kind of see the mixture of the two and then sit down and, and go through with them what I'm reading and get those questions answered. Sometimes it's great to be able to sit down and study a passage together. Maybe you want to get together with two or three other guys and say, hey, we're just going to read a chapter of Ephesians every week, and we're going to go through and we'll get together and say, hey, what did God say to you out of this chapter out of Ephesians? Well, Sean, I don't know that I'm a teacher. I don't think I can do that. That's not what I'm saying. 
I'm not saying you need to get a group together to teach Ephesians to them. I'm saying you need to get together with other people and say, hey, what do you see here? I don't know. What do you see here? Maybe nobody got an answer. Hey, I love nothing more than running down answers in Scripture. I'm not kidding you. Like, if I could get paid all day just to sit down and study the Bible and and find answers to questions, I love that kind of stuff. So email me with your questions. It's great. You say, well, Sean, but, I mean, the church doesn't, like, have a formal small group ministry outside. Well, for one, we do. It's Sunday school. Every Sunday at 945, and then on Wednesday nights at 630, we get together and we study God's Word. We share with each other what what we're learning, what we're growing in. You say, well, you know, Sean, I want something more than that. Great, do it. Don't wait for me. Don't wait for us to to launch some big small group ministry and things like that. We're looking at all those things. That's part of what we're looking at through the church assessment that we're taking. What's next for us as a church? But hey, there's nothing in the Bible that says, thou hast to waitest upon the pastor to be able to put thine small groups together, okay? That's not anywhere in here. You can grab three dudes at McDonald's at 9.30 at night on a Tuesday, and you guys can sit down and do this. I think McDonald's around here is still 24 hours. If not, Waffle House is right across the street from the other McDonald's anyway. They are 24 hours and better. (laughs) Study the Bible with other people. It makes it so much richer, so much better. Get together with others and study. It also gives you the accountability to say, When you have to sit there and look at the guys and be like, yeah, I didn't read it all this week. That gives you the accountability to be able to say, next week I'm going to, though. I hate not having anything to contribute, okay? So with that, by the way, some of you may be sitting there saying, Sean, you know, I've I've got this stuff down. I feel pretty comfortable with my Bible reading habit. Is there kind of anything else? What I would encourage you to do is out on the next steps table, again, that black table out in the foyer, there's some copies of a handout that's from the Village Church in Flower Mound, Texas, that they put together that is how to study, it's tools for studying the Bible. It's front and back. It's sized well so you can slip it in your Bible so that way you can have it next to you. It gives you a a longer, more inductive Bible study method kind of. So if you're wanting to go deeper into God's Word, if you're really wanting to dig in and have fun, um, this is a good pattern for you. It talks about getting started, how to pray uh, as you do your reading, making observations, and questions to ask for interpretation, uh, stuff to look up, different books to look at, things like that, and then application questions, helping you kind of think specifically through it. So that's free. They're out on the, the next steps table. If we need more, let me know, and I'll, I, we can print more up, or I can email you the PDF. Okay? Cool? So like I said, this week, I, I know a lot of times things are a little bit more theoretical. Uh, you know, a lot of times when we talk about them, it's, it's a little bit more nebulous. I wanted us to really focus on what it looks like to long for God's word because this. When, when people that do these kinds of studies have looked at churches across the U.S., the single greatest factor that determines how well people are walking with Christ is whether or not they're reading their Bibles. The more you engage with the Bible, the the better worship services are for you. The more obedient you're going to be, the more willing you will be to share your faith. This is the the mother of all disciplines for us spiritually, spending time in God's Word. So if you need any help with that, please let me know. Now, I know this message has been somewhat different, but all of this is because of the hope that we have in Christ. Here's what I want to do. I want you to go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. Like I said, I know that this has got to be more of a teaching and less of a preaching, but as Tim comes up just to play a little bit here in the background, I want to give you time to start thinking about what's next for you. First off, is there somebody, well, actually, even before all that, have you ever responded to Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Have you trusted him? Are you a part of his kingdom? Do you have that hope? If not, then do that right now. Just talk to him like I'm talking to you. There where you're seated, you get that decision to follow Christ. But if you've made that decision, then let's think about the responses that we're supposed to have today. Is there a brother or sister in Christ that you've not been loving well? Somebody you've not been responding to as you should? Would you ask God to give you the strength and the ability to love well, to put aside all malice and slander and envy, all of those things that he talked about? Then the next question would be, what do you need to do to develop that longing for his word? First, take this time and pray that God would give you that. 
Pray that God would grant you a, a longing for his word, that it start to jump off the page at you. And then maybe the other thing you need to do is make a commitment. God, there's a specific time I'm going to meet with you to read your word. Even sit down and think specifically, what chair in the house? What time of day? Where are you going to start? Not because somehow the rigidity of that makes it more spiritual, but if we have a plan, you're more likely to do it. So God, what do you want me to do to long for your word? Take a moment there just with your head bowed and eyes closed. Respond as God leads. I'll be down front if you need to talk to me. If not, just do business with God. Father, again, we thank you so much for all you. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us Jesus and purifying us from our sins so that we could have a love for one another. God, would you help us to be a people who are known for the care and the concern we show for each other? that we'd be like the early church in Acts, that there wasn't anybody poor among them because they shared everything and made sure that everybody had what they needed. Would you help us to, to be a church without any malice or slander or hypocrisy or deceit? Help us to honor you well that way. Then, God, would you develop in us a greater desire for your word? Would you help us to be able to be a people who spend time with you and and dig deep into your word to see what it teaches us about you and about us and anything else that we need to learn or to obey or to do? Would you help us to be able to get together with other believers to be able to spend time looking at your word and studying those things so that we can know you better and honor you more to live the holy lives you've called us to in reverent fear like we looked at last week? We thank you that all of this is possible because of Jesus and his death his burial, and his resurrection. So help us to go out from here today living in hope, living holy lives, living in reverent fear with love for one another, longing for your word because you teach us about yourself through it. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.